Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch and rewatch the 90s animated series reboot. I'm Jessica. I've been a fan for a long time. I'm Ben, and I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, things stay happy and light. Nary a bad thing happens, and game over. <laughs> yeah. Is this bizarro world? Nothing bad happens, Ben. <laughs> Wait, which one did you watch? Are we on episode four? Shush! <laughs> well, folks, we've done it again. We've managed to land another guest. This week we have our friend Woody Battaglia from the My Minute with Andre podcast. Hello, it's me. I'm Woody Battaglia. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Hi, Woody. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I, it's, uh, I, I, I rarely turn down an opportunity to talk into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a little background. We like to ask our guests uh, what their history is with the show, if any. So uh, go for it. Okay, so my history with the show is I'm aware that there was a show called Reboot, and I'm also sort of aware of what it looked like. And then I watched this full episode in preparation for this particular show. So you were basically reenacting me in episode one of this podcast. Right, except that, you know, one would assume that in episode one of of the television series reboot, there would be some sort of exposition or explanation of who the characters are or what's going on. You know what? There really wasn't, though. You were kind of thrown right in. Like, I had a ton of questions because I was like, wait, who is this? What is happening? Why is this happening? You know, they, they, they kind of explain things as they go along, but, like, you're kind of thrown in. Uh, okay. Well, uh, then we're, we're birds of a feather then, because <laughs> what the heck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we explain? Today we're doing season three, episode four, Game Over. It was first aired on September 10th, 1997. It was written by Ian Pearson. The story was by Gavin Blair, Phil Mitchell, and Ian Pearson. It's really cool to see Ian's name in the uh, written by credit here. I feel like he always gets the little little side credit. So he took full responsibility for this one. And so we begin at the tour inside the firewalled off sector. And a whole horde of ABC tanks are in formation and lining up. Megabyte asks if Hex is ready. And she's like, you don't honestly expect me to help you, do you? You're glossing over Megabyte's sweet new bike that he has here. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, that, that's a new bike? That is a brand new bike. He usually goes around a little limo that he has. Now he's got a cool floating motorcycle thing with his face on the front. And he he has a, a very bizarre relationship with his sister. Oh, yeah. Yes. This is an ongoing concern. <laughs> <laughs> now, he, he does currently have his sister tied up to some kind of wheel while she wears BDSM gear. He has like a real shock collar situation going on yeah. there. Yeah. Where he zaps her and she seems like she's a pip. And then afterwards she's laughing like, haha, you nothing you can do to me. Yeah, yeah. She gives uh, the wrong answer and gets the shock collar. And uh, which is as usually the case in this show when as she gets electrocuted, we get to see a bit of her skull. And uh, this one's a bit darker and more realistic than the other ones we usually see. She also cracks up at the idea of the future torture that she plans on inflicting on her favorite brother oh man oh man is megabyte gonna get it when she gets free you have no idea the power you try to control she also claims that chaos will always triumph over order because order is dumb <laughs> so 
are her exact words. I mean, <laughs> that's that's like a tautology. That's like a precept of, <laughs> of philosophy right there. But we all have our core beliefs. <laughs> so she does actually fire at the firewall. She got those hot hands. She got those hot hands. And they use this as a transition moment into the principal office where we see them monitoring the situation. The uh, nerdy binome is seeing lots of movement in the sector. He's like, looks like Megabyte's having a party and everyone's invited. Except me. <laughs> Am I the only one who is noticing the the resemblance between these little helper guys and um and like minions? No, I pointed that out a while back. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that there there are these these minion. Te- I'm sorry. What are they called? They're called binomes. Binomes. Okay, so these binomes, they're they're on both sides of the fence here. There's good binomes and bad binomes. The bad ones are actually infected by the virus because megabyte and hexadecimal are viruses, and so they've infected some of these binomes to do their bidding. And, and the bad ones, the, if you're infected, you get a green eye. Yeah, and you get you turn kind of purplish. That's mostly because it's Megabyte that's doing the infecting, and he's got a very specific color scheme. He has a look that he goes for. And the other people get infected with his, you know, Prince of the Revolution style. Exactly. So uh, Fong determines that Hexadecimal is attempting to breach the firewall, and Dot just kind of looks at him with these, like, half-open eyes, like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, and? (laughs) (laughs) And she succeeds, or at least enough for a bunch of ABCs to start flying through, which they go through uninterrupted as Dot is holding off the order to fire. Right, Megabyte orders the forces to attack the office while the shields are down. He's like, take no prisoners, show no mercy, leave only footprints, take only memories. But uh, Dot's sitting there going, show your ugly face, Megabud, I know you're in there somewhere. You blue tin coward. But he's he's more of a lead from the back kind of general. Yeah. He doesn't even come through the portal or whatever, through the wall. Right. When it becomes clear that he's not coming out, she gives the order to start firing. And man, these guys have good aim. They're just blasting them out of the sky, and like the ABCs aren't putting up a fight at all. I mean, it's easy to get the ones that just coming out. I'm surprised the ones that were already out did as poorly as they did. But I've got a feeling that Mouse has done some upgrades, because they mentioned a few times that she's added things. So I think she kind of just like... <laughs> Threw some code in there. Made some fancier guns. I was like, I was worried because it looked like it looked bad to me. There are hundreds of these, but then they're just shooting them. It's no problem. Not a single one of them does seems to do any damage to anybody. I'm a little bit more worried about like the binomes and like uh, citizens on the ground, like getting hit with a shrapnel falling out of the sky. Yeah, there's like a yes. bustling city down there. <laughs> Megabyte even gets rocked, and he's like, "Ah, shit! Close the rift." Yeah, so gone are the days of we see a binome parachute to safety in the background of a scene. Like, we are in a war zone. They're screaming and crying and like, this is a little hellish, this moment. <laughs> there do seem to be real consequences in this show uh, and and people seem to die and stuff a little bit. I mean, even if it's like kind of off camera. Like we even get one that he's trying to contact Megabyte, but Megabyte's already closing that hole up and is not responding. And as he tries to get into the hole and realize that he can't do it fast enough, he yells for Megabyte as he... <laughs> slams into the firewall killing himself i think four megabytes was the size of one of my first flash drives by the way (laughs) but as yeah as he collides uh, his broadcast goes static and everyone at the office starts to celebrate everyone but dot that is she goes off to sulk and fong walks in on her crying she tries to cover it up but it's just the paperwork i got a i got a paper cut (laughs) intelligence reports there it's important you gotta go you gotta go through them immediately after the battle 
if you don't fill it out now, it'll never get done. Just pile up. But uh, yeah, so she confides and she's like, she feels bad because she doesn't really want to be a murderer. And that's what it's come to. Like, she knows that those viral binomes are still lives that could have been saved. So like, this is like some heavy shit for her. I should be happy, but all I feel is empty. It's like part of me died along with all those virals. Yeah, the show is actively discussing the emotional and mental costs of war. In a show that opened up at this point in the first episode, we were looking at Bob wearing pigtails. Yeah. And it's like, this show is really a different show than it was. Fong tries to cheer her up and tells her to be strong for their sake and for Bob's. And she kind of looks at him like, Bob? Bob who? You yeah, keep referring to Bob. I have no idea who Bob is. <laughs> so, so Fong reminds Dot that since the viruses are contained, that frees them up to go searching for Bob. And if Twin Peaks has taught me anything, it's that you don't go searching for Bob. He'll find you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's fine. He'll just show up at the foot of the bed. <laughs> it's difficult for me to make Twin Peaks jokes because every time I try and watch it, I just get very confused and scared and then leave. That's kind of like what happened when I watched Reboot today. <laughs> <laughs> So meanwhile, Hex is still stuck in her trap and Megabyte is talking over with Air Doctor how long they have before she finally breaks free and murders them all. <laughs> Megs is putting Hex back in the box and he's like, hey doc, when do you think her warranty is going to expire? And doctor's like, listen, this bitch cray, between you and me, I think she's into this whole bondage thing. And we get like a full on like look at the camera, like wink, wink. Yeah, it's very upfront. It's very bizarre. Like, I was, not, I was not expecting that at all. Yeah. Megs is like, ugh, gross. Where the hell are Hack and Slash? <laughs> Cut straight to them, where they're discussing who should do the dirty deed in the dungeon keep, and press the button that will smash Cyrus into peace. But Slash is having second thoughts. He misses Bob, because Bob always stopped them before they actually did anything bad. <laughs> I, I thought that was a little, it was very touching. He's, uh, he's like, oh, I don't want to actually be bad. You know, I want to be stopped before I do the thing that I'm about to do. Yeah, I just want to, you know, like, play at being bad. So Hack goes ahead and pushes the button, but Slash saves Cyrus in the nick of time, sets him free. Go, little fellow. Run, be free. And Hack goes, ooh, I'm telling. It's a real narc. <laughs> <laughs> so back at the office, Andrea can't figure out what she should call Dot. She's like, are you a sir or a madam or what? what, what what's your preferred uh, pronoun? <laughs> There's this, this slight brief moment of bonding they try and throw in there before everything goes horrible. And we get a advanced warning of an incoming game because Mouse's new tech allows them to do that. So I'm guessing that's like a webcam. And so like the nerdy binom is like looking and watching the guy pull out like a CD or something like that. <laughs> He's like, game's coming out of the packaging. <laughs> Oh man, they're watching us from the computer. This this puts a whole new... Where's a tape I can put on my webcam? <laughs> <laughs> so Dot tries to get a tender moment in here before Enzo leaves, but he waves her off. It'll be fine, Dot. He and Andrea just like start skipping away. <laughs> they high five. It's great. Mouse is like, you need to cut the umbilical, darling. And Dot goes, but Bob was supposed to... Bob, 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 give it a rest. <laughs> I agree with Mouse here. And I think... Knowing what we know is going to happen, it feels bad in retrospect. <laughs> I think she's giving her good advice. It just didn't didn't pan out well. Yeah. Which uh, now they're able to evacuate sectors before the game lands, which is nice tech. Now Dot kind of is uh, not sure what she wants because, like, first she's like, "I want that area cleared of everybody," and he's like, "Yep, they're all on their own." And she's like, "Oh, I was afraid of that." Like, make up your mind. Do you want him to have help or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, they just don't want to have. 
noobs going in there and ruining the game. <laughs> I, th- I think they probably could have used a few of those green berets from the earlier episode we had. One or two of them would have been fine. So uh, Megs is watching Enzo go off into the game, and he just starts talking to himself. Like he has this long, drawn-out monologue to nobody in particular. Putting on a show for the masses, are we? The young pretender <laughs> to mend and defend. <laughs> Who will defend you the next time we meet? I'm just like, no wonder Hex doesn't like him. He's insufferable. He just sits in his room talking to himself all day. <laughs> He's like watching the stories. <laughs> so at the edge of the sector, we get to see Cyrus. He's uh, escaped from his certain doom, but he can't actually leave the firewalled zone. He's freaking out, trying to get outside, and notices Scuzzy's trying to get in. So uh, maybe they can help each other? Maybe? I mean, he starts to have a psychotic breakdown at this point, too. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> it's like, his, his laugh is like rivaling Megabyte at this point. Yeah, really. It was a little upsetting. But we're inside the game, which seems to be some type of cathedral. Yeah, so Enzo checks the game facts and discovers that they are in a tournament-style fighting game between gods, angels, and demons. But there's a problem. There's 12 fighters to choose from, and the user only has to beat five of them. They reboot now, they may not even be chosen, and then where will they be? I, okay, so th- this is where I don't understand what the heck's going on at all. Like, <laughs> so there, I understand that there's some kind of a game in that, but the game has real life stakes for whatever reason. But then this whole 5 and 12 thing, somebody somebody explain the <laughs> So in context, they're basically going to choose their fighter. But, like, I guess in this case, the user gets to select who he fights against, which is not true for any fighting game that I've ever played. Like, the computer definitely picked my opponents, so I didn't get to choose who I fought. There was, like, a lineup. And then, so then whoever the user picks, they can win five fights, and if they win five fights in a row or something, then they would never have to fight the other seven, and if Enzo picks one of the other seven, then he's just, what, trapped or something, or what? He's not trapped, but he wouldn't have a chance to defeat the user. Okay. In this reality, if the user wins the game, the sector that the game fell on is nullified and basically destroyed, and everybody who's in it gets turned into these, like, slug creatures. So (laughs) it's, it's in the Guardian's best interest to win the game. And uh, but I guess to ensure that these characters win, like he wants to be one of the chosen characters. Right. Otherwise, like I mean, the user might still lose, but it's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I feel like such a proud papa over here with Ben explaining about nullified and like <laughs> <laughs> we had this exact conversation during the first episode, but it was me doing the explaining to him. Wow, it's amazing. The apprentice has become the master. <laughs> Outside, Dot is like, is it over yet? Did they win? And Fong's like, no, geez, it just started. Come on. Yeah, you gotta you gotta calm down. You gotta stay calm. You gotta take stock. You gotta carry on. Where is my freaking hot cocoa? <laughs> we get this, like, understanding here, though, that in-game time is different than real time. So is it like one of those an hour inside, a minute outside type of things? That's about accurate. So, like, the user would have to be playing the game in real time with the sprites, though, I assume. So it would only be, like, a nano for the mainframers, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, the in in the game, they're going through our real time. Um, but outside the game, it only feels like a few moments. But that's actually a very important setup that they threw in right there, which I thought was good. So, way to pick up on it, Ben. Yeah. That's when uh, <laughs> Fong suddenly gets cuckoo for Coco. <laughs> So we're back in the game, and we get this awesome musical theme. It's 
just close enough to Mortal Kombat to get the nostalgia going without crossing <laughs> into copyright issues. And the user has chosen his fighter, and it is Satan? <laughs> it is Zayton with a Z. Oh, really? <laughs> That's very on the nose. It's a ginormous devil guy with a hook arm that walks around while on fire, because of course. It looks very much like the Balrog in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes, it does. But uh, but this is pre-Lord of the Rings movies, so Peter Jackson was a reboot fan. <laughs> hey, weird things have happened. So Enzo tells Andrea to share a fighter with Frisket so that the dog can take care of the user if she gets chosen. Like, way to have faith in the actual game sprite, Enzo. You know, the one who has repeatedly proven themselves to be way more proficient than you. The one who has poison fingernails. Seriously, she is a game sprite. She is a warrior. <laughs> also, he's bringing down the odds that they'll actually get the fighter at this point. Right, because, yeah, he says that, you know, this way they'll have two chances of getting picked, but they would have three if Frisket would get his own character and not have Andrea hide behind him. Yeah. And it just so happened that there was one of these character things that that, that had, like, a, a duo. But, like, straight up, Enzo could sit this one out, and I bet you Andrea and Frisket could easily defeat the user without him. <laughs> oh, easily. And, you know, it kind of, like, throws that shade at him. So like, okay, I don't get it, but whatever you say, you're the guardian. So Enzo's trying to guess who the user's new opponent will be and tries to reboot into them at the last second, which he fails to do. Uh, and they get to watch the first fight with an angel named Empyrean. I got some, like, Rocky Horror vibes from the angel. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he gets completely demolished by the Lord of Darkness. For his finishing move, Satan grabs onto the Adonis's head and gruesomely pulls on it. Yeah, he's either crushing his skull or sucking the life out of him, but either way, it sounds really gross. I got the sense that he was either tearing the head off and we just didn't see it on screen, or he was just, like, breaking his neck. Whatever it was involved crunching of some sort and some Foley guy having a real fun time. Yeah, there's a real neck snappy sound, and then also... When he grabs him, he, his hand uh, catches on fire as well, so it's like he's burning his face and or removing his head maybe at the same time. We get a little break from the uh, bone crunching uh, and head back to the tour. Scuzzy has found a way through the firewall somehow off screen, and Hex is very happy to see him and very mad that it took so dang long for him to get there. I like that Scuzzy just appears, like, just, just basically to let her know that it's dinner time, like a cat, and he's <laughs> like, yes, yes, I hear you, you're gonna have to wait, I'm a little tied up at the moment. <laughs> and it's so fun. <laughs> she also lets him know that no, having a firewall is not an excuse for being late. This makes me wonder what happened to Cyrus, like, what did Cyrus do to help Scuzzy in, and, like, did he get to leave? <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely leaving that off the side as a little thread to pick up later. <laughs> we got more important things for this episode, but you remember, put a pin in this part. So back at the game, Enzo has apparently missed out on rebooting several times now. He's just content to watch murders happen in front of him, satisfying his dark urge. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see that Zayton is wiping the floor with a rainbow-looking guy with a sword, uh, and Sword Rambo also bites the dust with some more awful sound effects. 
and the user nearly picks Andrea, but settles on Scorpion, and so Enzo finally decides to actually get in the game. No time like the last minute, huh? Which, he's like yelling and waving, over here! And I'm just like, no, no, Andrea and Frisket could do a better job. <laughs> Andrea would slaughter this demon. <laughs> they would stand no chance, why? It's And plus, double teaming, you know, because you got Frisket on her side, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've seen Frisket, like, eat a tank. Let him go. Let him do his thing. But so yeah, so Scorpion is chosen, and so he tears off his mask and pulls like a dark helmet line. <laughs> I can't breathe in this thing. Uh, he also he gets introduced here as Matrix. You get to hear the Matrix. Matrix. But this title card says Disneya. <laughs> I, I did. It, I did appreciate that it was very Mortal Kombat-y, His uh, his outfit there. His outfit, and then also the moves. He starts doing bicycle kicks all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been imbued with uh, martial arts powers. He knows, he knows kung, kung, kung fu. fu. Ah, damn it! Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Just happy I was able to set that up for both of you at the same time. Uh, which one's going to make it into the edit? We won't know. Oh, I see how it is now. I see how it is. Why wouldn't wouldn't you keep it in stereo? (laughs) You could put one on the left channel and one on the right channel. And it would be really amazing for your listeners. It would be like all soundscapey. (laughs) So the fight is on, and he actually does well at first and manages to take out Zayton once, but then he gets killed himself, tying it up for round three. So Enzo starts pumping himself up to take on Zayn for the whole game. He dodges. He weaves. He loses an eye. He gets Thor Ragnarokked. <laughs> he gets Thor before Thor. <laughs> yeah, right. Thor got Enzoed, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he looks like he's down for the count, but he does manage to get up a little bit. He even breaks Zayn's little sword hand thingy. And manages to press on his icon just before his neck bones give, while Andrea does the same to herself and Frisket. I forget what this does. Doesn't it, like, store a copy of them or something? So you have not been told what that does. Because we, we saw her do it in um, Andrea, like, in her first episode when she, like, stored a copy of herself onto Enzo's icon. So, yeah, she took her thing and put a copy on it, Enzo's thing, but it didn't turn anyone's uh, icon into anything else. Oh, so this is a new new move. Yeah, this is a new thing that they have not told us what it is yet. No, and... The voice here, so Andrea's uh, comforting Frisket as she changes their icons, and like the little like tremble, like it's gonna, it's gonna be okay. And I'm like, oh my god, this is awful. It was very emotional. I was not prepared for what appeared to be a major character to to be apparently killed by a giant representation of the devil. Yeah, a little child <laughs> murder there. You know? Yeah, it's like a little boy. <laughs> What's what gives here? <laughs> So outside the game, we get to see a little bit of reaction to this. Uh, Nerd Binome confirms that the game is over and about to leave. And Dot starts ordering medics into the scene in case one of them is hurt. And the system of voice announces, game over. The user wins. And as usual, everyone laughs as we cut to credits. <laughs> it was a it was a, a a montage of people being upset. It was very it was very awful. Everyone like pauses for an extended moment of serene silence. There's a good like twenty full seconds of pure silence. No music, no reaction. It's powerful. When you finally see Dot's face and she does like little like voice quiver, like little shaky breath before she says Enzo. Enzo No. It's like damn. 
Dot screams, no! As Megabyte looks on and actually does laugh. It does, it does kind of put a little turn on the laughing end credits scenes that we've been having. <laughs> well, it makes sense because he's doing the intro now, so he's got to laugh at the end. <laughs> Gets the last laugh. Reboot! So, Woody, as your very first reboot episode, what did you think? Uh, you know what? When I first... So I watched it like three times and the first time i was completely bewildered <laughs> and had and had trouble had trouble even understanding the the rules of like spatial orientation between objects <laughs> <laughs> i get that because like there's a lot of quick cuts of like the um buildings and like the tanks in the beginning and yeah like you you don't really get a good sense of scale as to like who's where in relation to each other right like where are we who are they and why are they they over there where these other people are in what and that kind of thing but then you know i watched it again and then i it was like you know i understood things relationships to each other and stuff and by the third time i watched it i was actually like paying attention to the story for uh for the most part and like and and picking up the character names and that kind of thing and it made it a little uh made it a little easier and and now i find that now that i've seen it now i want to know you know what happens with the dog collar and stuff um So, like, I, I intentionally brought you in blind because you were going to watch, like, the first four episodes. And I told you, no, no, treat this as if this was, like, a rerun that you just happened to catch on TV. Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, you, you don't really do that anymore. Or at least I don't because I haven't had, I haven't even had, like, cable TV or whatever in years. So Yeah, everything's bingeable now. Yeah, exactly. You used to have these experiences all the time where you have, like, a fragment of a thing or you're like, well, let me try and figure this one out. And... Uh, it's kind of fun. It's like a fun puzzle you're trying to put together. Also, you know, it had some kind of funny moments and it had, uh, it had a lot more emotional content than I thought it would at all because it looks like it's just ancient, like video game cutscenes or whatever. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Speaking of funny moments though, I, I really didn't catch many. Did, were there any? Well, I thought with the the hack and slash bit, I thought was funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. They were they were a nice moment of levity in this episode. I guess that's it. I guess that's the one I was thinking. Of. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see Andrea kick ass in the game. Like she was just sent off to the bleachers to watch from the sideline. Yeah, she had four arms and swords, and he was a tiger, and we never got to see them do anything. <laughs> Yeah, and like ta- that whole tapping on the glass thing, I thought that was a nice effect. Oh, it was a great effect. That moment where her and Frisket are like trying to get out so desperately to help him and they can't. And I'm just like, oh my God, my heart. I kind of thought that they would be able to break through the glass themselves, you know, like that kind of thing. Because if they could tap on it, then, you know, maybe they could get out there and, and uh, I don't know, cheat or whatever. But that, that wasn't. They have definitely cheated before. So I doubt it was from lack of trying. If I were this user who had this computer, I would be so angry every time I play the game because, like, they do not play by the rules at all. Yeah, well, one of them should have thrown the other one through the window. <laughs> so, yeah, like, overall, I thought it was a pretty decent episode. Like, not one of the best, but, like, the last couple of minutes really hit hard. But for most of it, I didn't feel like the tension was as high as some of the other episodes. But I think that actually helped make the ending more of a gut punch because it kind of comes as more of a surprise. Yeah, and I think that was the intent, too. I think they're trying to make you feel like this is, this is, stuff is normal, you know, everyone, everything's gonna go fine, they're gonna have a game, they'll win, they'll go back home, and then they're like, nope, rip out that carpet from underneath you. Yeah, you know, they did that thing at the beginning, so when Enzo is watching 
uh, Zaytan or whatever fight against like the that uh, that like Angel Man or whatever. Uh, he he says, "Ah, that's his finishing move. I'll remember that for later." As if you know, like he's figured out the key to uh, to winning. So you would just assume he's gonna win. You assume that's just like foreshadowing of how he's gonna win, and then instead he loses. So that I like that they turn that upside down. And they they play it up a little bit later too, like where he's studying his opponent. He's He's trying to learn from this so that when he finally gets rebooted, he can, you know, take him down. And then, nope, don't get that satisfaction. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I mean, part of it because of what I knew was coming. And it really lived up to my memory of it. And part of it because it kind of exceeded that. Like, that moment of silence and the whole, like, quavering of Andrea's voice as she, like, tries to calm the dog as she like is so sure that she and Enzo are gonna die like that was heart-wrenching yeah like the the last couple minutes as well as like the hack and slash bit like made the whole episode for me I want to I want to talk about the fact that this is supposed to be part four of a four episode arc and it definitely doesn't feel like the end of an arc (laughs) it feels just as much of a cliffhanger and like a continued arc than anything else I think it feels more like an arc when you see the rest of the season like it feels like I know I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, because uh, an arc should feel like it's an ending in and of itself. But when you when you see the next episode or the next or the next four episodes, you see how they've delineated this this era. Because in my mind, like the firewall's still up, Hex and Megabyte are still behind it, and like, um, you know, Enzo's gone, and like the, I feel like all the threats that were in place are still in place, and like nothing's been resolved. I don't know, like, it just it doesn't feel like the end of an arc to me. I think that's valid, but I'm curious to see your opinion of it after some more arcs. Pixelacious! So, uh, Jessica, it's time for our signature segment, Bits and Bites. What kind of trivia did you bring this week? Alright, so first we'll start with Dot's order of defense mode is 9704, which is this episode's production number, which they always love sneaking that in there where they can. Second, Mortal Kombat! <laughs> The big one. <laughs> so we get the finishing moves, the classic Mortal Kombat finishing moves. Uh, we get Scorpion, and I'm fairly certain a Johnny Cage-esque character on one of those little background things. Uh, we get the famous bicycle kick. We get the fun theme song, which is very obviously a, a Mortal Kombat spinoff song. But it, was, it, stood, it stood well on its own account. I really liked it. I thought it was good. We get references in the game to two different gods from two different pantheons. So Andrea's character is a reference to probably specifically Durga. So she is a Hindu goddess that has many arms. Now she has like a butt ton of arms, like 12 arms or something, Um, not four, but she does have a pet tiger. So I'm guessing it's specifically a Durga reference. And then we also see an Anubis back there. We get a lot of in references this episode. Uh, which I think will end up being more important as we go on. So when uh, Enzo rips off his mask, he goes, you just can't talk in these things, which is exactly what (laughs) Bob said in Nilzilla. I thought I remembered that happening before, and I couldn't remember which one. He says that I don't believe in a no-win scenario, which is what Dot says in um, the episode where they're escaping Megabyte Sector, and they're in the little, like, little tank. That's also a Captain Kirk reference. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, his this is bad, very bad. But I kind of thought it was interesting that you, you get to hear him quote his two parents, I guess, for all intents and purposes. You know, the two people who have raised him. 
And so this isn't really a reference, but it's it's been foreshadowed so many times, is that Enzo finally loses his eye. (laughs) That's true. They've been foreshadowing him losing his eye? Yeah. Yes. uh, So in the first season, we had the episode Identity Crisis, and we got to see a kind of like uh, possible future in which Enzo had a scar over his eye. And when the episode when he first met Andrea, he rebooted into a character with an eye patch. And in Two Men to Defend, the episode, the first episode of this season, it was his eye that fell out when he was a zombie. So yeah, this is, they, they were planting references of this. Now, I didn't know this till someone just said this on uh, one of our social media accounts today, but apparently also in the zombie Evil Dead episode, the weird deer that was on the wall that we thought was fun but oddly out of place yeah <laughs> says that it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye oh so <laughs> oh. you you know at that point that they were playing in this so. it's like the star wars everybody loses an arm so on reboot everybody loses an eye <laughs> yeah it, it was it's really cool to look back and see the references that they the foreshadowing that they were doing there it's always nice to know in a TV show that they had some kind of idea what they were going to do. It is. Because, well, because with so, well, otherwise you get the lost problem, which is, uh, which is we pretend that we have a plan, but there's no plan. And then we just run out of gas and nothing ties together. And it's horrible. We had a plan, but then you figured out the plan in the first season. And then we got really mad. So we said, no, that's not the plan. And then in the sixth season, we said, ha ha, it was the plan all along. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. They were just, they just, they just had nowhere to go when everybody figured out the the thinly veiled thing right away (laughs) so uh, let's let's get into the game let's get into the game gee i wonder what game this is uh (laughs) so when i was a youngin uh the first movie that i went to go see like with friends as opposed to like my family taking me to a movie was go see mortal kombat with a bunch of people from summer camp and my mom did not want to let me go or pay for it. So I had to pay for it by myself. And all I had was change. Huh. I'm going to say that she was probably right. She's probably right. <laughs> uh, I was a big fan, though, of the soundtrack. <laughs> uh. I, uh, I also saw Mortal Kombat when I was a... Uh... 14 or 15 or something like that and i saw it with a bunch of school friends and i remember we were very excited about it and i remember that we all thought it kind of sucked after we had actually seen it <laughs> it's the same experience that i had going to see street fighter so basically any video game movie <laughs> yeah the curse of the video yeah. game movie <laughs> of course i mean i also saw uh the super mario brothers movie so there you go so i I have a fondness for the Super Mario Brothers movie. I won't go into. Oh, that. I'm not not. I'm I'm fond of all of these movies, but they are not good movies at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so the original three Mortal Kombat games came out in uh, 1992, uh, 1993, and 1995. So those were one, two, and three uh, by Midway Games. So it was originally created to be a video game starring Jean Claude Van Damme. That was the conceit behind the video game. Huh. That didn't work out. Weird. So they went with this weird fantasy horror thing instead. And along with Capcom Street Fighter and Bandai's uh, Tekken, Mortal Kombat became one of the most successful fighting franchises in the history of video games. And uh, as of 2000, which is almost 20 years ago now, uh, the franchise had generated $5 billion in revenue. So probably more by now. So it had such a high reputation for the levels of bloody violence 
including most notably its fatality system, which was part of what led to the creation of the video game rating system, yeah. which even to today, people blame for everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> uh, so question, uh, who's your favorite Mortal Kombat character? Hmm. That's a tough one. When, uh, somebody else go. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is not something I could, like. I don't actually play Mortal Kombat enough to have a favorite character. I probably would go with Chun Li just as like my go-to. But Ben, Ben, what? Oh, tell me you're doing this on purpose. Tell me you're messing with me. Why? What? Oh boy. Oh boy. This is uh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> you do know Chun Li is not in, in Mortal Kombat, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even I knew that. See, okay. Okay. No, can we? <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> I don't actually play these games that often, so like I conflate the two. And um, so if you were to ask me who my favorite like Super Smash Brothers character that I would always play is, it's Samus Aran. I will always go for Samus. All right, there you go. We'll go with Super Smash Brothers. I'm I'm more of a Link guy for Super Smash Brothers. I can't play Super Smash Brothers. Every time I try, I just get confused and angry. It's like Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I, you know, for Mortal Kombat, I always, I always like Raiden because Raiden had a cool hat and he'd seem mysterious and he'd glowing eyes and the whole thing. I enjoyed that. Oh wait, is Liu Kang? Yes, Liu Kang is one. I could go for Liu Kang, I guess. Uh, so Mortal Kombat wise, definitely has to go with Katana, mostly because I always pick the girl characters and there were very few girls. Uh, as for fighting game characters, so my favorite fighting game is probably actually Soul Calibur where they all have blades uh and Talon is my favorite she's got like a little like dual weapon thingy she's fun I like her this is wrong this is all wrong so every week we like to award the golden pigtail to our frostiest of moments uh Jessica do you have any nominees this week yes uh so one of my favorite moments was uh Hex's tied up and controlled by her brother and has been forced to do things for him we don't know about <laughs> gross someone someone knocks on the door of her dungeon and she goes come in in the sweetest voice <laughs> like someone was coming over for tea <laughs> i like lost it for some reason <laughs> so that was my funny my funny moment but i think my real frosty moment has got to be Andrea's voice actors. This is the last we're going to get of Andrea's voice actor because uh, she just died. So. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> that's that's it. <laughs> uh, but it was such like a good moment to go out on. Like this is a little girl voice actress, and she she pulled out all the stops. I don't know what they. It was Andrea Romano who's the voice director for this show, which I don't know if you were familiar with her, but she's done the voice directing for all the greatest cartoons ever in the history of cartoons. If there's a cartoon out there that you really enjoy, she probably did the voice directing for it. I don't know what she did to make this little girl pull out like this. I'm talking to my dog who's going to die. Also, I'm going to die. Also, my boyfriend's going to die. But she she managed it. And like, damn, I hope I hope she had stuff that she did later because she's a talented young kid. So mine is actually more of a heartwarming moment. Uh, it's going to be an odd one for me because there there wasn't too much for me to latch on to uh, joke-wise. So I'm going to award it to Slash for his heel-face turn when uh, he, 
He let slip that the only reason he was following Megabyte's orders in the first place was because Bob would always be there to stop them from actually doing anything too harmful. So, like, this whole time, he's been intentionally inept, and that actually blew my mind. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. That was good. And can I just say, I'm still disappointed that Dot didn't show up as Chun-Li. <laughs> so last week, when I said we were having a Mortal Kombat, and you said, is Dot going to be Chun-Li? Did you think Chun-Li was in Mortal Kombat? <laughs> I told you. I, <laughs> I mean, this is ongoing. I thought you were just making a general fighting game reference. I could be. <laughs> so, so did you pick a frosty moment, Woody? I did. I did. And uh, you know, I don't know. I, I found it to be bizarre, and I and I did laugh when uh, where Dot's in there in her whatever in the office, and then Fong comes in to to cheer her up or console her or whatever and she's talking about how everybody's uh, all these needless deaths and she's super depressed and sad and he says something to her and then suddenly and she perks up to a degree like the 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 tonal shift <laughs> is it would snap your neck it's crazy and then suddenly she's like you know what I should be out there celebrating with my team or whatever. <laughs> like, like the whole thing is erased. Not like with a heavy heart. She's just like, get me out. You go like, will you excuse me? I gotta, I gotta go party right now. <laughs> but look, if you've never been in a room alone with Fong, you would understand why it's important to get out of their room. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can sympathize with that as well. Now that you say that, I'm, I'm totally getting what you mean. Time to pull up the old feedback. So at Vindolf uh, points out on Twitter that he missed one episode during the original run, and it was this one. It just happened to be the most important episode of the series. And uh, so he had a backup VCR to tape the rest after that. I can't imagine being in the middle of a watch and, and you miss one episode, you think, it'll be fine. <laughs> you come back. It's like that gif from Community where Troy walks in and everything's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Frisket, that's a familiar name, or a racer dad on Twitter, uh, says that I can't count how many times I've seen this episode and it makes me emotional every time. And for good reason. <laughs> well, it made me emotional and I didn't even know what the hell was going on, so. Nolan decided to dedicate uh, an R.E.M. song to Andrea to show her support and love for Enzo in this difficult time. And so he uh, posted the video for R.E.M.'s The One I Love. And then I replied by uh, saying, okay, and, and for Dot, she gets everybody hurts. Poor Dot. She's been through so much. <laughs> Daniel Borat on Facebook. Such a painful moment for Dot and the audience. First Bob, then Enzo, not again. And Megabyte's laugh at the end still gives him chills. But on a more personal note, just when he'd gotten over what happened to Bob, the user wins. And Enzo not only loses the game, but his eye as well. Dot's scream made it even worse. His frostiest moment, the Mortal Kombat game, and its user, Zayton. <laughs> Jan McCormick on Facebook. Since she, since I was 16 at the time of airing, it didn't traumatize me, but this is the first episode that hooked me. I had watched the show from the beginning, but it was never a show that I had to be home to watch. After this episode, you better believe I had that VCR set up just in case I missed anything. <laughs> so Anthony Kuchar, uh, at Cerebus92 on Twitter, says he remembers feeling... Very sad for Dot at the end of this episode. First her guy gets shot into the web, then her younger brother. And also this started Enzo's sense of failure to protect his system. It reminded me of that Picard quote, you can do everything correct and still fail, Data. Aw, that's pretty accurate considering how many times they reference Star Trek on this show. 
Yeah. Kim Montgomery on Facebook uh, says Enzo getting his eyes slashed was their frostiest moment. Little kid getting maimed and imminent death approaching. I mean, we knew it was game over, but Dot didn't. And her heartbreak scream with tears streaming down her face still gets to me. Images of the ruined sector and Megabyte's rumbling chuckle. Man. We have a new Patreon backer. Hi, Sarah W. Thank you for being our patron. Sarah pledged $5 so she gets a nickname and a sticker. Uh, and we'll give her nickname Mortal Kombat themed uh, to go with the episode. So it'll be Sarah, get over here, W. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. So is there anything you want to recommend this week, Jess? Uh, yeah, I just started a new podcast called Hey Riddle Riddle. Uh, in which uh, three podcast members go over riddles. Uh, most of them are extremely bad. And we get to see little like improv uh, scenes of them going through the riddle. And <laughs> we get graded on the riddle later, which is almost always a D because they're, they're really bad riddles. Uh, <laughs> all in all, it's a really funny, it's just light, it's fun. Um, it kind of pokes at fun at my love of riddles. Uh, so it's a good time. You should check it out. Hey, Riddle Riddle. All right. Woody, how about you? Anything you want to plug or recommend? So there's something I've been enjoying slash frustrated by for literally years. So I'm an, uh, I'm an enthusiast of, uh, of interactive fiction games, and you know what I'm talking about, I assume. I do. Like text adventures? Yes, good old-fashioned text adventures. I don't know why, but it really appeals to me. They still kind of make them, but like, like sort of like amateur style, like for fun. Uh, and I say they still, but I, but there's a game from 20 years ago that I am literally still trying to figure out because it is, <laughs> <laughs> there's this, uh, game creator named, uh, named, uh, Andrew Plotkin, who apparently is like the king of modern interactive fiction. When they say modern, they mean like past the era where it was commercially viable. Um, <laughs> when they started adding pictures to video games and, uh, and he has a game from 1998 called Spider and Web which is like a futuristic spy intrigue cold war kind of thing interesting and it's practically impossible to get like three steps into this like uh secure complex or bunker that's controlled by like like a like a kgb black site or something like that basically that you're trying to navigate through and it's got this kind of wraparound story and like sort of a it's kind of a sort of inception element to it it's uh it's fascinating and uh and i literally have gotten nowhere with it but i start it twice a year every year (laughs) (laughs) nice no that sounds like fun i gotta check that out yeah 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 and then anything you want to plug like something that you you do that people can find you somewhere absolutely like we mentioned at the beginning of the show i do a lot of different things and i have a a a weekly radio show uh but i think the thing that i want people the most to to be interested in and i I hope that some of your listeners are in this category like people who like a weird deep dive into something that where the fun of it is like why are we even doing this you know <laughs> like this podcast <laughs> like like your podcast i mean like yeah so i feel like this is the right place i, I really wanted to, uh, to speak to your listeners i feel like maybe some of them are my people uh so i have a podcast that's called my minute with andre this is a minute by minute dissection of the movie my dinner with andre so every episode corresponds to one minute of the movie I'm about to put out episode 28, so that's 28 minutes into the movie. This is an art film from 1981, which stars Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory. And Wallace Shawn 
if your listeners don't know, he's the little guy from The Princess Bride who says, inconceivable. Yep. (laughs) You know, so that guy. He's a famous character actor, but he also is a lauded intellectual avant-garde playwright. And in my dinner with Andre, he and his friend uh, Andre, who's a theater director, they play themselves and they just sit at dinner and they talk for two hours. So it's kind of like the podcast of movies. (laughs) They just sit there and they talk about like, they're uh, like Andre has been off having weird adventures around the world. So they talk about that, but then they get into like some deep philosophical things about like what the, what the nature of sort of life and reality is and what the important things should be that we should be focusing on as humans and whether or not living your regular life is moral or not and it, it's it sounds like super heavy but it's actually like kind of fun and a lot of it's funny and uh, it's like my favorite movie and I thought it would be uh, it would be ridiculous to to set out to do one of these kind of sh- things about that kind of movie because usually the kind of movies people do this minute by minute thing are they're like uh, action adventure movies like Star Wars or Indiana Jones or something so so I thought I thought why don't I uh, do it the the wrong way (laughs) (laughs) well i think that'll just about do it for us this week uh what do we have coming up next week jess so next week we're doing season three episode five so we're out of our four episode arc uh this episode is called icons and we're gonna see some some back to basics about you know playing in games we'll see some fun references as xena and gabrielle make make an appearance um and everything else would just be a spoiler so okay <laughs> <laughs> that's all you're gonna get from me it's kind of D ish again all right well if you want to find us online you can always go to incoming game pod on twitter incoming Gamecast on facebook or incoming gamecast.com you can find me online at dudworks d-u-d-w-o-r-k-s you can find me online at sturbina lady that's s-t-i-r-v-i-n-o lady our uh, theme music is Spasmatica Polka by Kevin McLeod. And uh, thanks so much for being with us this week, uh, Woody. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. Oh, I guess, you know, if anybody cares, uh, I'm at Woody Battaglia on Twitter. There's a there's a G in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can figure it out, then you've solved his riddle. So everything's fine, right, Ben? Everything's happy now? Yeah, yeah. I think I'll go watch Schindler's List to raise my spirits a little. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Stay frosty, folks. Game over. The user wins.